Um, thank you for allowing us to come and share with you today. And we were just ordinary people. We had been saved around 20 years at the time in 1999, um, faithfully, faithfully serving God in our church from if it was cleaning the toilets to preaching the gospel, you know, at the pulpit. I actually was a children's pastor and a school administrator at the time, and Dennis had his own construction company. And I just felt... Um, there was something missing, and I'm not criticizing the church at all, but we were going four times to the services, and I felt like something was missing, and I really began to pray and fast and ask God, what is the heartbeat of the church? What is it really? And um, show me through the eyes of Jesus. And I believe at that time, God led my steps, because he says he does. And I went to an international glow convention in Florida, where there were 12,000 women there. And one of the workshops was on South Sudan, which actually it was Sudan at the time, which I didn't even know what was going on there. It was a civil war, north, you know, attacking the Christians in the south. And they were talking about all the orphans in that. And I remember that night, I went forward, there was 12,000 women there, and I was so burdened by the pictures I seen and all the atrocities of children putting gunny sacks alive and drowned in the Nile and taking babies and smashing their heads into trees and cutting women's breasts off so they couldn't breastfeed their babies and poisoning the water. And I thought, why haven't we heard of this? And I just was so burdened. I went forward and I said, God, what can I do? What can I do, God? And I didn't expect God to answer the way he did. <laughs> and he said, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Wow. And, and I know it was God and it was like, what? <laughs> that isn't what I was asking, you know. And I remember I went home and I said to Dennis, I told him, you know, what God said. And he said, 12,000 women, are you sure he was speaking to you and not the other 11,999? <laughs> and he really had, I mean, he was, because we knew God then would call us over there. And he had been dealing with cancer from Agent Orange for many years. So he had a real legit reason. <laughs> But anyways, he gave me his blessing at that time. He had work commitments, and he just said he didn't think we were going to go. So I went over. Um, somebody gave me in contact. So I went over to South Sudan, and it was during Civil War. And I had five other people from our church that went with me. So now I was raised in, uh, near Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I was a city gal. So I was afraid of bugs, afraid of snakes. And um, when we went in there, this is how naive I was. And he was in Vietnam, so he knew what I was getting into. And when I first went in there, I mean, there's no roads, no infrastructure. They had a mud tuckle, all the AK-47s. And this soldier looks at me like, what are you doing here? And I mean, I was so naive. I just said, God told me to come, and we were going to do an orphanage. <laughs> You know, and he looked at me, and I'll never forget, because there wasn't anybody going in there. It was during the Civil War. And he looked at me, and he said, my sister, go preach the light to my people. I mean, they were so open to the gospel. And um, we just went around and shared in the schools. And anyway, long story short, I knew that God was calling us to do this. And um, God really had to work in my heart as well, because... 
I was afraid. When we drove in there, we, there wasn't flights. You couldn't fly into South Sudan. You had to drive through Uganda, the LRA. Lord, resist an army with air. And, and I just said, God, how am I going to live here when I'm so afraid of these people? And God really just put such a burden and a calling on my heart that I knew that I knew it was him. And then uh, a couple months later, I, we came back and I just believed, and this is one of the things, when you really feel God wants you to do something, I've learned that God honors faith and obedience. And I started acting on it and sharing, and I didn't even, we didn't have a not-for-profit at the time, and one woman gave me $5,000 of her mother had died, and, and God was just doing it, and Dennis said, when he finally agreed to go, he said, well, then we're going to do it. Let's do it the right way. And we started a you know, 501c3. And then we ended up, um, Dennis went over after I came back. And I'll let him share a little bit of his going in first, because he was going to try to get a toilet in before I got there. <laughs> but it didn't work. Yeah, of all the things to worry about during the Civil War, she was worried about a toilet. Uh, so she, Girl, you are in for a rude awakening. <laughs> well, I come from an opposite perspective than what she did. You see, she wanted to go because God called her. God didn't call me. He said, you know, it's like, what is this? And the only reason that I did go over there is because I couldn't let her go alone. You know, of course I had to go with her and help her out. And, uh, and so I went. And, uh, and so I, originally I went there by myself, you know, and I'm in Kampala, Uganda, which is about maybe about 300 miles away from our destination there in Sudan. And, uh, and we were about to start driving uh, one morning, and all of a sudden we got word uh, that, that the rebel group, this LRA, this Joseph Coney guy, whose, whose mother was a witch, and, uh, and that's where he got his powers from. And so witchcraft is actual. So anyways, and they closed down the roads. So what happened is that this uh, Joseph Coney and his gang pulled over a, a busload of kids and shot every single one of them. And so they closed down the entire North Uganda on the road system, and nobody could do any traveling until you know, they made it safe. And so there I was. And then I had to start asking myself some questions. OK, Lord. Is this a speed bump? Is this a wall? Should I go any further? Should I just pick up and go back home where I never wanted to leave in the first place? <laughs> and so I was mixed up. So as I'm going through this pretty much all day long, well, the next morning, as it was my, was my way, you know, uh, I, you know, I'm just kind of reading the word. I'm just kind of praying, and I'm asking, Lord, speak, speak, speak. And then as it was mentioned uh, this morning by the song leader, he says, uh, you know, and some, sooner or later, you got to stop praying and stop reading and then say, okay, Lord, I want you to tell me what should I do. Because I knew from personal experience uh, that if God isn't in something, it's not going to happen. And all you're going to do is make a fool out of yourself and a poor testimony of the Christianity about, oh, yeah, God told me to do this. And then, you know, and a couple of weeks later, it fails. And I'm like, yeah, right, God speaks. 
But uh, you know, I was, and another problem I had was, well, was it a speed bump, a roadblock, or as Pastor Dave was saying, and and, it's, and these two comments really spoke to me this morning. It was that well, maybe I'm just trying to get out of this. Maybe, you know, it's prematurely stop what where God wanted me to go, and I just go back home. And so I wasn't sure. And so what I did was, okay, Lord, I spoke to you for the last hour. Now I need you to speak to me before I go any further, before I even give this situation another thought. So what I did, I said, okay, well, story of Gideon with his fleece, and I... And I was accustomed to throwing fleeces out to God several times before this. And God answered me every single time. And so I said, okay, Lord, I knew that he was going to answer me, but I didn't know what the answer was going to be. So I said, I'm going to close my eyes, and I'm going to throw my finger in on the page, and whatever the verse my finger touches will be your answer. And so I did it. I closed my eyes, opened up my book, threw my finger on the page, and then I opened my eyes, and it was Psalms 41, 1 through 3. Listen to what it says. Blessed is he who has regard for the weak. Oh, that's me. The Lord delivers him in times of trouble. Well, trouble, what does trouble just do? What do what the passages say? Trouble makes you strong. It builds your faith. The Lord will protect him and preserve his life. Okay? Well, that's, that was the answer to that question. He will bless him in the land. And he certainly did. Later on, you'll find out that God gave us a thousand times more than I even hoped for. and will not surrender him to the desires of his foes. And we had plenty of those. Satan was constantly trying to stop us. And verse 3, the Lord will sustain him on his sickbed and restore him from his bed of illness. Now, there were many times I got malaria, and I'm thinking, oh, boy, you know, with this and that. And I thought, well, is this what... You know, maybe this was, I says, you know, and I didn't think so. But anyways, in 06, I had a major heart attack when I was there in Sudan. And I, I was able to <laughs> kind of wobble along the ground until I got to a chair. And I sat down, and with this elephant sitting on my chest, you know, it's like I just had this glory come through my spirit. Lord, within seconds, I'm going to see your face. I was that positive that I was going to die within seconds. I was praying you wouldn't. <laughs> Him and, yeah, yeah. Well, it turned out that, okay, well, I did after 10 days, after a journey, uh, I, made it, I made it back to Wisconsin. I had heart surgery. And then after the surgery, my, my doctor, who, my, sur my surgeon came to me, and he says, well, I heard about your story, about how it took you 10 days to travel after your heart attack. I says, yeah. He says, somebody must up there must have been watching over you because you should have died. 
there is no way you should have lived through what you did with that heart attack that you did because everything was just completely shot. And then when he said that, this verse just rang through my spirit. He is going to restore him from this bed of illness. Amen. And I had been back in the States at that time. My mom was having surgery. So then I immediately tried to get a flight and get over there. And um, and he was. It took us all those days to get home. And as soon as we got to Wisconsin, they did open heart surgery. So it was amazing how God has. He's had cancer so many times, heart attack. God just isn't done with him yet. <laughs> So I'm so grateful. And um, so anyway, then after, I went in after three months, and um, we lived in a, a brick tuchel ourselves, and our first orphan, Caleb, came in. He was, mother died in childbirth. Um, nine, one woman out of nine die in childbirth there. So Caleb's mother died, father was a drunkard, and he couldn't provide for him. There wasn't anything around there with formula and things like that. He was, um, what was he, two kilos? I think, so that's four pounds something when they brought him in. He lived off sugar water for like three weeks. And we took him in, and naturally, he didn't have any clothes, no diapers, so I cut a lot of my T-shirts up, and we had him in a little plastic wash basin and um, put a mosquito net over him, and we ended up getting formula in that brought in from Uganda, and we cared for him. And Dennis knew that once we took this first boy in, while we were doing the compound, there was going to be a problem with me not wanting to let him go because I was up seven times a night with him, and we named him, and, well, lo and behold, we did adopt him. It took us seven to eight years, and um, he's a citizen. He's actually in U.S. Army right now, infantry. So <clears throat> he'll be 22, so... Praise the Lord. But anyways, so Caleb was our first orphan that was brought in, and it was such a blessing. When we first got there, there was so many children. It was the first orphanage in South Sudan, and because of the war, people ran, left everybody. I mean, they had, you know, we had a bunker we'd have to go under when the Antonov plane would fly over. And when I'm sharing these stories, and it's not that, oh, we're so brave, you know, we're strong people, we are ordinary people, but obedient and willing to go. And, and we didn't really even have a lot of gifts. We never did an orphanage before. And, but it's amazing how God can take a naive, kind of dumb person and, <laughs> and do what he wants then and not get in the way. <laughs> so anyway, so we ended up over there. <laughs> and I'm going to let Dennis share not all stories have a happy ending, but God sees the beginning to the end, and it was our second orphan that came in, Matthew. Our second orphan. Uh, we were there, I think, maybe, maybe a month, maybe a little more. I was in the process of building. And before we were uh, opened, uh, this, this man came to me in a wheelchair. He was pushed by his, one of his grandkids or whatever the case may be. But anyways, he came and asked me through, inter through an interpreter, that if we would take his son, uh, that was, I think, just, just a, just a, I think, about a week old. Uh, his mother gave birth, and then he was, he was during the Civil War, and he was still dropping bombs on the area. And so, and so she was killed by one of the bombs. And, uh, and he asked me if I could, we could take, take in. I said, ah, the orphanage closed, blah, 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 blah. Oh, please, you know, and all this. I says, well, I tell you what. Come back tomorrow, and uh, 
and let me see the child, and I'll make a decision then. Okay, so the next day, up early in the morning, he's there. Uh, somebody had to push him because uh, it did a wheelchair through the dirt roads. It was pretty difficult. But anyways, he's, uh, he says, well, I, I'm here to show you my child. And I says, well, okay. Where is he? Where is the child? And, and he says, well, right here. And, uh, and all that, I looked at his hand, and all that was in his hand was just a handkerchief. And I'm like, well, I, I, I see the rag through an interpreter, and, but I don't, I don't see no child. Well, then he opened up the handkerchief. And in the handkerchief was a, no more than a fetus that weighed one pound, still alive, one kilo, so it may be two pounds. And uh, the, the child couldn't open his eyes. Oh, couldn't I'm sorry, couldn't close his eyes uh, because when you're that weak, uh, the, the skin just doesn't allow it. And, uh, and, and so I said, okay, uh, we'll take him. And so we took the child, uh, rushed the child to the hospital. Hospital said there's absolutely nothing they could do with him. Uh, just take him back home and just let him die. And so we took him back uh, to, to the compound. And, uh, and so for the last 20 hours of the, uh, the child's life, uh, we just held him. You know, and just prayed for him and just gave him the love that we could do. You know, and we need to understand that even though God puts us in places, goes through ministry, and everything God does, you know, through story after story, God will direct you. And I was positive now after what happened that we were in God's plan. And, uh, and, and for the first time, we were both together in this, in this mission thing. You know, not all things are going to go as you hope. There's going to be times that there's going to be failures, but you cannot allow that to stop you. You still got to go in faith. No matter what calling God calls you into, don't expect everything to be wonderful. Be ready for the times, because those times will only build your strength and your faith and your devotion to the one who created that one little baby. He had us there that for at least the last 20 hours of his life, you know, he had some love. As Dennis said, he was one kilo, and I had really struggled then. You know, Caleb was thriving, second orphan, why is this happening? And I thought, God, you brought us here. You brought this baby in our life. And I thought everything was going to be great, you know. So when he died, it was traumatic to me. And as Dennis said, I really felt God speak to my heart that this baby, actually, he was three weeks old. Both parents, the mother was an alcoholic. They're both bombed in a market, like you said. And it was three miles they brought the father out in a wheelchair on those roads. And I felt God said, you love that baby. You held him. He was never touched. He laid in a building for three weeks. He weighed one kilo. And I remember saying, God, how can this be? And the Lord, it's through our trials and the endurance and the faith and our my, you know, our life shouldn't be in our identity, but it's in what Christ called us to do. There were so many trying times there that one time I thought maybe we'd just leave. I mean, it was like, 
you know, a lot of the locals turned against us and that, and it was like God was saying, you're not there even for them. You're there because of me, for me. And you just had, you know, I spent times praying and into God. And anyway, at the end of that story, that man started coming to our church under the mango tree. Every Sunday, they wheeled him out there, another guy. He gave his life to Christ. And then after, we never seen him anymore. But God knows the beginning to the end. God has taken this ministry. He brought Samaritan's Purse. He brought people out there. It's really prospered, and it's God. It's not us. It's just being obedient. And then we started expanding, and Dennis is going to share about the next place we went to. It's a total different tribe. Uh, yes. Uh, the name of the organization is Harvesters Reaching the Nations. And so after a, I don't know, three or four years uh, in, in Ye, well, we, we thought, well, let's, we want to expand. We want to expand. And so a Bishop Elias Taban that was working with us uh, mentioned that, okay, well, there's, there's a place up here called Terrakeka, and I want to take you up there. And so he took me up there, and, uh, and I had to talk to the local commissioner that owned all of that land, who was in charge of it, in order for me to get permission to do what I wanted to do. And so... Through his interpre interpretation, we, uh, I went there and, and I was talking to him, and he asked me, well, what is your plan? What, what is your goal? And I said, well, the orphanage, a church, a school, and hopefully some, uh, some medical treatment care. Well, and, and then he starts laughing. And I'm like, and I'm thinking, well, what's so funny about that? Yeah, I didn't expect him to laugh. Well, uh, when all of the talking was done and, uh, and we left with the guy that was, Bishop Elias was telling me, the reason that he laughed was because the day before I got there, Muslims came to him and they wanted to open an orphanage, a school, a mosque, and hospital care. But I lied to him. And he says, I felt so guilty, but I lied to him because I did not want any Muslims in the area because the Muslims just left. Uh, because of the Civil War, the, you know, the Muslims had control over that whole territory for, for years. And so they just left a few months prior to that. And they certainly didn't want him, uh, them to come back in uh, because they were, because while they were there during the war, you know, of course, they were teaching all of the kids to be Muslims. And he said, we wanted a Christian. And so when you came to me and you told me what you wanted to do, I was no longer felt guilty that I lied to him. <laughs> he says, I wasn't lying. I was prophesying. Uh, so with the expansion, we actually have three schools. We have a vocational training center, two churches, and now we're just reopening up our large hospital. Why well, I say large, it's, you know, I think, what is it, 60 bed maybe? But for that community, it's amazing what God again has done. So then, when I go back and visit, because we lived there, I was there 12 years, Dennis 14 full time, and then we came back, my mother was sick, and I took care of her till she died, and I've had some health issues off and on through the years. But anyways, then I went down Uganda, we had some more uprising that happened in South Sudan, so many of them started running Uganda in a refugee camp. And when I was down there visiting the refugee camp down there, I heard Mama Lily, and I'm like, what? And some of the kids from her community in Ye 
were actually in a refugee camp and asking, why can't we build a school there? And so I came back to the board and prayed about it and said, can we do a school in a refugee camp? Well, we did. And it's thriving, and it's not only for the refugees, but we opened it up to some of the Ugandans as well. And um, now we're actually doing a widow's program because we're shifting the way we do things. Um, we're trying to bring widows, put them in some of the vocational training, teach them skills, and then so they can provide for their own and not have to be in an orphanage setting. And many of our older kids, we have a lawyer, uh, one's uh, right under like a doctor, nurses, drivers, they've done really well. So it's, it's amazing what God has done. And in closing, we feed 1,400 students and disciple every day. So we do orphan care, discipleship, education, and medical. It's really about orphans because that was the heartbeat when I asked God, what's the heartbeat of the church? It's the orphans and widows, and he says that in James. And um, the last little story, it's our boy Peter that we raised in our orphanage, <clears throat> and he's I mean, they got cell phones over there now. When we went there, we didn't have anything. We had a satellite phone, and we'd have to walk way up the hill and try to get it to work. So it's amazing. But anyway, one of our orphans now was trained in missions, and he has such a heart for what we were doing. He started his own little school. He got a couple businesses going. He has 11 orphans. And he never asked me for money, but he asks for guidance. And... Um, Anyway, so we kind of helped him out, but it's amazing to see how God has taken, you know, what we started, what God told us to do, and now they're doing it even on their own. So to God be the glory. If God calls you to do anything, just step out and do it, because what I say to churches when I go, you know what? A little fire is better than no fire. You know, we might stumble along the way, but I tell you, there's no greater life than to be in the will of God. And it might have been a dangerous place, but we were in God's will. If we were meant to go, well, then we were meant to go. So thank you for allowing us to share. And take a free book. My story's all in there.